Hi, I'm Mary Beth, and this is my mom. Hi, I'm Katie. For practical motherly wisdom, I don't know, ask my mom. Welcome to today's episode of I Don't Know, Ask My Mom. Today we are unpacking some health-related topics, and for that reason, I just want to start off with a disclaimer that my mom and I are not doctors or nutritionists, so please be sure to consult your doctors before making any changes to your lifestyle or diet or that of your child. We offer knowledge based off of our experiences and our life journey, Um, so that works for us and does not necessarily mean it is right for you and your body and your health. So please do your own research and listen to your body. We will do our best to always provide helpful links in the description, but keep in mind these episodes are very much done in a off-the-cuff Uh, like a phone call kind of a basis. So we're not researching before we unpack these topics. We're more so discussing as a mother and daughter on a phone call. That all said, let's get into the episode. Hello. Today we have a really great question coming from a listener that I'll read to you. She says, I heard you talk about a hyperactive toddler and working on a sleep schedule with them on a previous episode, and I wanted to ask you about my infant. She is six months old and is so fussy. I can't seem to figure out a sleep schedule for her. Do I just let her choose when she's tired and stop trying to schedule all her naps? Please help. Well, that's a great question, and I think I do have some help for her. And let me just start right off by uh, promoting a book I really like. It's by uh, Dr. Polly Moore. She's a PhD. She has a PhD in sleep, actually, but that's for adults. (laughs) And then she had her own baby, and she was kind of beside herself. How do these things sleep? (laughs) Um, (laughs) And she figured it out and has written a great book that is just right to the point. It's a very simple read. Uh, A new mom would definitely have time to read it. It's called The Natural Baby Sleep Solution. Use your child's internal sleep rhythms for better nights and naps. And it's, uh, you read the first couple of chapters and then you go to the age your child is and she gives you some real specific information. So in a nutshell, when uh, like a newborn is awake. They wake up, let's say they wake up at eight o'clock in the morning. Well, 90 minutes later, they are definitely ready for a nap. And it's Mm. like, man, they just slept for six hours. How can they be ready for a nap again? Well, they are. They're growing so fast. Their brains are, you know, growing so much, taking in so much information and they're exhausted. So Mm. when I'm working with a brand new mom, I have her set a timer for 85 minutes from the time the baby wakes up, and then to begin looking for their sleepy cues. And with a newborn, it could be a slow blink, it could be a yawn, uh, could just be turning their head away from you, not wanting to make eye contact. Uh, Some real simple things like that. And at that point, if you can help the baby go to sleep, swaddle, use some white noise, have a few things that are associated with the baby going to sleep, put them and uh, wherever it is that you have them sleep in the same place and Mm -hmm. 
turn the lights down and let them go to sleep, you have this short little like, oh, two to five minute window. And they can learn how to calm themselves and go to sleep. So parents that have never done this and here now they have a six month old and that baby does not know how to fall asleep on their own. It's a little bit harder, but not much. So uh, I would suggest you go to the book and see what it says about a six month old. And by the time they're six month old, they're staying awake longer. So maybe uh, their, their first awake time would be the 90 minutes and they're ready for a nap. And then Whenever they wake up again, you look at the clock and you maybe would add two 90-minute cycles together. So they're going to be awake for about 180 minutes. So set your timer for, you know, an hour and a half, hour and 25 minutes. Or wait a minute. What's 180 minutes? That's three hours. <laughs> so set your timer yes. for two hours and 50, two hours and 55 minutes, somewhere right around there. And then beginning watching your child. Are they showing signs of being tired? And then assist them in going to sleep. And some moms hmm. that are breastfeeding will just breastfeed their babies to sleep. But let's try not to do that. Let's feed them maybe an hour before their nap time. And then when it is time for a nap, use a few other associations. Maybe it's the same blanket or little lovey toy each time. Maybe it's hmm. also white noise. And then the place where they sleep along with the lights being turned off. All those things help assist that baby in going to sleep. And once they mm. learn how to fall asleep on their own, mm -hmm. wow, that's a huge skill that you've just taught your child. Give yourself a good pat on the back as a mom. Wow. Yeah. Why would you not want to train them to be breastfeeding as they fall asleep? Because uh, they're not going to get a full feed in probably. They're just going to okay. maybe feed for 10 minutes and maybe only on one side and then they're sleepy and uh, they're not just, you know, they're not sucking well as they're falling asleep usually, mm. you know, or the other thing is, is that if you always breastfeed the baby to sleep, then mm -hmm. if you're running an errand or your husband's giving or your partner, you know, is giving you a night off, he's not going to be mm. able to get the baby to sleep. That's a good point. Right. Also, what would you do if, you know, your baby's going to sleep, uh, is asleep for a few seconds, and then all of a sudden just, you know, starts wrestling again? What are some tips for how to shush them back? Right, right. In their nap. Mm -hmm. I was with a mom earlier today, and actually partway through the baby's uh, sleepy time, baby started to wake up, and I, they did have white noise going. But I went over and went shh in the baby's ear. And I think I did hmm. two, maybe three shushes like that. And the baby just uh -huh. settled right back down. So there are some oh. different things. Um, Dr. Harvey Karp has a program called The Happiest Baby on the Block. And he has oh. the five S's of things that help a baby calm down. And shushing is one of them. And oh. when uh, a baby is fussy or crying, you can make the shh noise in their ear. And that noise has to be louder than they are crying. 
So there's mm, what are the other S's? Yeah, there's side lying, lying the baby on its side, holding it. I usually would hold the baby on its side, swaddling, okay. sucking, swinging. We'll we'll, <laughs> we'll link get, that yes. in the description. <laughs> right, right. Well, that's really helpful. I well, there's other reasons a baby is going to be fussy. You know, could have a burp. Um, mm. uh, could be something the mom ate that is you know, giving the baby some indigestion. Um, I've taught moms a little hold where you hold the baby facing out. So their back is towards you and you have your hand kind of around their abdomen and then you can hold their feet and do like a little frog pump, uh, their feet up and down. And that can kind of help them pass some gas. And at six months old, that's probably, you know, an issue that can cause for a real fussy baby. If they're super like screaming, yelling, and it's just off the charts, you've got to look to see if they're in pain. Maybe they have their ear, you know, an ear infection. Maybe their ears are sore or, you know, who knows what could be causing problems. And if you can't figure it out, that's where you're going to reach out to your community other young moms, you know, postpartum doulas are always good to talk with. Um, maybe your doctor's office has a consulting nurse that you can call and find out what's going on. With that said, I will segue into uh, my question. You mentioned um, the mom's diet. What could be some foods that are not as helpful for a nursing baby? Nuts can be a problem milk products, you know, just dairy in general, high carbohydrates that are really not nutritious, just kind of your empty food calories can cause a problem. Um, Do you mean with that more processed carbohydrates or because, you know, fruits and vegetables are high in carbs, but are those? Yeah, yeah. Those are not um, bad carbs. (laughs) Those are good carbs. Yes. Okay. Just clarifying. <laughs> right. right. That's good. Um, and a lot of times it's process of elimination. I would just tell a mom, let's take out one thing at a time. Let's stop dairy and, okay. you know, do that for a week and see if that makes a difference with your child. Uh, if there's no difference, let's take out nuts and legumes. They can be very gassy, you know, preparing your legumes a little differently, letting them soak and rinse well and, I think there's some enzymes you can put with them. I, I don't eat them myself, so I don't know, but I've heard there are some enzymes you can use to help some of the gas and that. And so that's kind of just a process of elimination. You know, and if the, there's some difference here. If the fussiness is brand new, then you need to look at what else just changed in your life. Did you, were you just under a whole lot of stress? Because if you are, you're going to transfer that to your baby. Your baby picks up on it. Mm. Um, if, you know, is your baby sick? Is, um, is there something else going on? Did you change your diet? Did you start feeding your baby solid food? And what was it that you started Mm. feeding them? So a lot of different things there. And something I just kind of mentioned that I kind of want to unpack a little bit more is how, what you're going through can affect your baby. And I remember years ago, it's really interesting. It is. So years, years, years ago, I read a book called Kids Who Carry Our Pain. And it was talking about Mm. difficulties going on in the family and how children a lot of times think it's their fault. But the, the way back on that is, is that what you're feeling emotionally 
really transfers to your children. Whether you tell them it or not, whether you think you're totally hiding it from them, when you're feeling stressed, your baby feels stressed. And a good example of that would be uh, when I go in to help a, a family with their infant and I walk in and the baby's screaming and crying and fussy and the mom gives me the baby and the baby immediately calms down and I've had moms kind of in distress about that. Like, why can you calm my baby? And I can't. Mm. And I said, because I'm confident and I'm calm and I'm not uh, afraid or I don't feel like I don't have enough information here or I don't feel uh, inadequate to help this child. So my confidence and my being comfortable with that baby the baby senses it and feels it. That is really interesting. Right. Wow. Can I tell on you? <laughs> yes. Yes. You <laughs> yes. You. I'm an aunt, but I'm an aunt in training. Yes. I'm. I have lots to learn. <laughs> That's why I love these conversations. I learned so much from you. Yeah. Well, the first couple of times that you oh. held your your newest niece. Uh, you were not comfortable and she didn't like being held by you, but you did get more comfortable as time went on. Right. Oh yeah, I did. But you're the baby whisperer. The second, you know, I'm holding her, she's bawling and fussy. And then I hand her to you and she's just smiling. Right. It it took her about a half a second to calm down. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my yes. goodness. Well, I'm working yeah. on it. It is, it's hard because I will say coming from my point of view, I acknowledge that that timidity that I carry the baby, I can see that the baby can feel it. But what is hard for me and, you know, if sometime I do become a mom is to think about how do I manage that stress and how do I, it's like, sometimes you don't know how stressed out or anxious you are. And like when I would go to hold my niece, it's not that I in the moment was super stressed out about life, but just that anxiety of like holding her and not knowing how to soothe her must've been enough to send her off. I don't know to me, just on a little tangent something that really helps with relieving stress. Have you ever heard of laughter yoga? No, I haven't. Tell me about that. Oh my goodness. Okay. Well, I used to live in New York city and there were many classes all the time. There's so much happening in the city. And I had heard of people doing this and I was curious, uh, you know, are you like in a room, all girls in Lululemon doing downward dog and just laughing? Like, what is the deal? So it's definitely not like that. There's, in fact, no yoga really happening. I don't even know why that's in the name. It should just be called laughter class. It's more akin to a drama or acting class. But I went. It was in Times Square. I got there. It was maybe 35 people ranging from 5 years old to 85. There was a couple that looked like, you know, grandparents to one of the kids that came And I was interested in this because of all of the stress relieving qualities and laughter, and I just wanted to experience it. So the beginning of the class starts out and the instructor gave a little bit of information 
about the science behind laughter and kind of said, you know, well, fake it till you make it. And we were walking around, weaving in the crowd and you would kind of clap and laugh. And the point was he made, uh, he told us that you had to make eye contact for at least three seconds as you walked past people. And as you're laughing, it would kind of conjure up laughter in the other person. And so that was all well and fine. And it was a little forced, a little awkward. And you're kind of like, ha, ha, ha. And it, but it builds up over time. So this part of the exercise maybe took half an hour. The best part, though, was when we get to the end of the class, we, I have to mention to you, there were a lot of, it was a wide swath of people. So we had um, an East Indian couple that was older. We had uh, people from Africa, myself from America. We had some Asian people. There was like a big ethnic diverse group. And also the age was different. So just imagine, I guess I didn't realize how different cultures, their laughs sound different. And oh my goodness. So we fast forward, we're at the end of this class and he tells us, okay, we're all going to lay down in a circle. You're going to put your heads towards the center. And when I count to three, you are going to let out your biggest, most gut-wrenching laugh. So, you know, one, two, three, we all start laughing and I nearly peed my pants. My abs were on fire and hearing people like, (laughs) just all of the various types of laughter was so funny. And we carried that on for a solid five minutes. And oh my goodness, the absolute catharsis and release was incredible. So the best part though, I'm almost done with this. At the very end, he gave a bit more of the science behind it and I'll uh, simplify it a little, but he basically explained how our brains sort of work in a similar way to Google, for instance, where if you type in tree, uh, your brain will conjure up all the search results regarding a tree. So the smell, the look, different types of trees, it'll bring up all these results. So comparing that to laughter, when you're laughing, your brain will conjure up all of these memories and associations with laughter and joy and levity. Um, and then the other part of this is that our brains can't simultaneously have two thoughts. So if you are in the moment joyful and laughing, you can't also be sad, sorrowful, in pain. So it's just a beautiful way to relieve stress. So channeling that back into, you know, kids and how they hold our pain or our stress. It's really good to somehow find a way to laugh every day. Laugh at yourself, laugh at your family, just, you know. I totally agree. And I think with a child, it's very easy to get them from crying to laughing. And it's a skill that a parent should work on. Oh, yes. Many, yes. many faces. <laughs> so let me go back now a little bit. And I want to talk about the mother yeah. that is stressed. And yeah. the mother with a newborn really needs to get enough sleep. This is something I tell my moms right after they have their baby For the first two weeks, you need to sleep when your baby sleeps 24-7. If your baby is asleep, please sleep. So there is a doctor, um, 
his name. Oh, there it goes. Dr. Jack Newman. He's done more research Mm. on the breastfeeding mom than anybody else. And he talks about hormones that moms have during their first uh, couple of months of breastfeeding. For your first six to eight weeks, you have hormones on board that help you to survive without REM sleep. And that helps you get through these times where maybe you sleep for an hour and a half and then you're awake for two hours and then you sleep for 30 minutes and then you're awake for 20 minutes and then you sleep again for a couple of hours. <laughs> but the, the thing is, yeah. is that you've got to sleep when your baby sleeps. And often yeah. a new mom is um, nowadays posting on social media pictures of her newborn or having friends and family over to see her new baby, and she's not taking care of herself. The American culture is different than a lot of cultures around the world in this sense. Um, Most cultures give the mom uh, 30 days to just completely take care of herself. Aunts come in, her mother comes in, the community comes in and helps her with meals and taking care of the rest of the house. And all she needs to do is heal and take care of her baby. So in our culture, it's it's a little different and it's hard. So this is my little script for a mom. The first two weeks, sleep when your baby sleeps. And then after those two weeks, you want to count up your hours of sleep in a 24-hour period. So start when you go to bed at night. Let's say you go to bed at eight and you slept for two hours, great. Then you're awake for an hour and a half and then you sleep again for two. So now you've got four hours. You keep adding that up till you get maybe somewhere between eight and 10 hours of sleep. Then you can stay up. So it may be two o'clock in the afternoon before you've had enough sleep And then you can stay Mm. up and do those extra things, maybe do a load of laundry or make a meal or take that, you know, a little bit longer shower, you know, or whatever it is. And if you can do that for your first month, then the rest of your recovery time will be really good. And at six months, boy, you'll be really doing good. If you weren't able to do that, I have moms when their babies are four to six months old and they're still dragging. They still have not recovered. It's because they never gave their body that time at the beginning to recover. And then you have a mom with the six-month-old child that we started this, uh, this podcast with that is so stressed and the mom is so stressed and it's just kind of a little vicious cycle that you've got going here. That's sometimes where I get called And the first couple of nights I work for this family, all I do is tell them to sleep. Let me take care of your baby. If they're breastfeeding, I'll bring them in to feed. And other than that, please just sleep. And let's get them caught up on their sleep. And then we can work on, you know, some schedule for the baby and some other things. If you, say, have a friend or a family member who is a mom like this, what's something you could do to help them? Well, first of all, let them know that you're willing to help. Um, Making a meal is helpful. Mm. Coming over and holding the baby while they take a nap. Holding the baby while they take a a shower by themselves. You know, Mm. offer to, you know, clean house for an hour and a half. Whatever. It kind of depends on Mm. how close you are with that mom. 
Um, and if you're not in the same mm-hmm. town, maybe send them a few meals. You know, we have so many different um, online programs now where people can, you know, order meals in for you or, you know, something like that. You could also That's pay a for idea. a few nights of a postpartum doula. I have a, a one client mm-hmm. that every time she's had a baby, her mother that lives across the country pays for two weeks of postpartum doula service. And uh, we, I interviewed with the grandmother of the baby. And then I also interviewed with the mother and they both liked me and hired me. And so every time now that she's had a baby, I go work for her for two weeks. It's wow, a very good gift. Good it gift. should be on uh, a baby shower <laughs> registry. Yes. Oh, that totally yes. should. Along with postpartum massage. And yeah. Wow. And I hope this can be helpful for that mom Mm -hmm. and any other mom out there. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast today. And thank you to the sweet listener who sent in her question. We would love to respond to your guys' questions. So please don't hesitate. Email us today at idkaskmy m-o-m-k-t at gmail.com. Have a great day!